Hey, good morning, church. <laughs> Welcome also to those uh, watching online today. We're so glad that you're here. As you can see, we're continuing uh, a message series today called There's an App for That. And what we're doing in this series is looking at the financial wisdom that God gave us that's contained in the book of Proverbs. And I just want to do a real uh, quick plug before we continue uh, into that. We're starting a Financial Peace University class. It's gonna run on Tuesday night starting May 3rd. If you're not familiar with Financial Peace University, it's a video-based class taught by Dave Ramsey with small group discussion. And I'll tell you, it's, it's the class that we uh, all wished that uh, we had that we didn't have when we were 18. And so if you've not taken FPU yet, it'll be a huge blessing to you and to your family, uh, and you can register with the QR code that's, that's on the screen. Also, the, all of the Ramsey Plus resources, whether or not you're able to hop into the class, all the Ramsey Plus resources are available to you free of charge as well, and you can register for that with the QR code that's up there uh, as well. So all of that's at no cost to you and hope that you can take advantage of it. So Proverbs uh, is a really interesting book in the Bible. A as you may know, Proverbs was written by King Solomon, uh, the son of David. And you kind of remember the story maybe with his early life where when he uh, assumed the throne after David, his father died, God came to him in a vision and said, Solomon, what can I give you? What can I do for you? And Solomon's uh, request was, I need wisdom. I need wisdom to govern God's people rightly and properly. And God blessed him with an answer to that prayer. And Solomon was known as the wisest man who ever lived. And uh, his wisdom, which is really God's wisdom, is contained for us in the book of uh, Proverbs. And Proverbs is just, it's a series of these short little statements that prick our thinking and they prick our heart about how the world really works. They're, they're designed to show us how to live life right and how to live life well with God's favor. Kind of the idea behind it is that, is it just like a scientist can search out the uh, natural laws that God put into the universe so that we can harness them, so you can search out the wisdom laws, the spiritual laws that God put into the universe, and we can live uh, by them. And if we live by them, we can live in the flow of God's favor in our life. Proverbs addresses lots of topics. It talks about work, it talks about family, it talks about relationships, and it talks about the wise handling of money as well. There are roughly 900 Proverbs in the book of Proverbs, and about 100 of them talk about how to handle money rightly. So, so uh, roughly 10%, more than 10% of the Proverbs are about money. It's a major topic inside of Proverbs. And so that's what we've been looking at over the past couple weeks. You might remember two weeks ago, we looked at the wisdom of contentment. A heart at, a heart at peace is the first principle that we looked at. And then last week, Pastor Paul helped us look at the wisdom of saving, that we shouldn't consume everything that we have, that we should leave margin 
around our life and save little by little with a disciplined plan because in this world there are ups and downs, financial uptimes, financial downtimes. We should expect them. And so the wise person saves little by little so that they can have peace rather than chaos when difficulty comes. And today is the third major area that Solomon looks at when it comes to our money. And it's the topic of generosity in our lives. The idea that giving is good. The idea that God has built generosity into the world as a pathway for mutual blessings. And it's one of the ways in which money is intensely spiritual. I counted at least a dozen uh, proverbs just directly on this idea of generosity. This morning we'll just take a look at four of them. They're sort of representative of what Solomon has to say about it. And if your group is discussing proverbs, you can look at the other at the other eight. But here's how we're going to approach it this morning. We'll take a few minutes to look at each one of those four proverbs and just try our best to understand exactly what it's telling us and what it means. And then we'll look at three ways that we can apply that ancient wisdom into our modern lives today. All right, so let's just dive right into it. Here is the first proverb on generosity that we get from Solomon. It's in Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10. It says there, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. <laughs> so what does that mean? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits. That's kind of not a modern way of talking. So what exactly is Solomon making reference to when he says that? Well, to understand it, we need to understand the Old Testament context in which Solomon is writing because uh, giving, honoring the Lord with your first fruits was written into the Mosaic law that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. And Solomon is making reference uh, to this in his statement. Basically, here's a summary of, of what was written into the Mosaic law. Uh, it, the, it said the first 10% of your harvest, the first fruits of your harvest, the first 10%, as well as the first 10% of the livestock born to you was to be taken to the tabernacle and it was for the Levites who served at the tabernacle. You might remember that the tribe of Levi, the Levites, had no inheritance in the land. Uh, and so the other 11 tribes were to support them because the Levites were to serve full time uh, at the tabernacle and they were sort of representative of the whole nation of Israel's service to the Lord. And so that one tribe was to be supported by the other 11 through that first tie. That was written into the Mosaic law. What's probably less understood is that Israel was also required to give a second 10%. And that uh, 
10% is they were, to, they, they were to bring that to the tabernacle at the three main festivals that Israel had. It was to be sacrificed to the Lord in worship. And then they were to eat of it and share it amongst their family and friends and eat it with joy and thanksgiving for all that God had provided for them that year. Kind of like our modern celebration of Thanksgiving in some ways. The exception to this was on the third and sixth year of the seven year cycle. They weren't to take that tithe to the tabernacle and eat of it. Rather, they were to store it up in each of their towns, each of their villages, each of their cities, and it was to be distributed over time to those who were financially vulnerable in their communities. Kind of like a modern day food pantry uh, in some ways, okay? And that was to happen on the third year and on the sixth year as a safety net for the poor and the widow and the sojourner in their land. And so this proverb is saying very simply that if you will honor God, he's saying, oh Israel, if you will honor God, by obeying these laws, he will take care of you. And the reason that Israel needed this reassurance is because the natural human reaction, and you can imagine it if you put yourself in their shoes for a moment, is to say, there's no way that I uh, can do that. I'm afraid that I won't have enough. And so this proverb is encouraging them to put down fear and say, if you'll honor God in this, in obedience to the law of Moses, God will provide for you. In fact, the verse prior to nine and 10 uh, says, trust in the Lord and don't lean on your own understanding. And then this verse is given. So the tithe for them, which really was a double tithe for the nation of Israel was an application to not trust in their own wisdom, but rather to trust fully in the Lord. And as they give that first portion back, it's a way to acknowledge that God owns it all and he'll take care of me if I will honor him. So that's, that's Solomon's first principle about generosity. Here's the second thing that he says. This is in Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, it says, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. That, uh, that phrase that we translate give freely in the Hebrew, it literally means to scatter, to scatter your gifts. So it's saying if you scatter gifts in the long run, you will gather more. On the other hand, if you withhold that which is right and just, you will lose in the long run. If you think about it, this is a complete reversal of the way that we would normally think about such things. You know, if I have $10 and I give away one, now I only have nine. I have less, I am poorer for being generous. 
But Proverbs says this is the wrong way to think. That's not actually how the world works. That if you will be a generous person and scatter your gifts, in the long run, more will be gathered. It's saying you can live with a closed fist and nothing will get out of that closed fist, but also God can't put anything into it as well. He says rather we should live with an open hand so that God's blessings can flow in so that they can flow out. And this is the way God has made the world to work if we will trust him in it. So he's trying to change the way that we think about God's world, all right? Here's uh, the third proverb I wanna share with you. And the next two are sort of similar and they build on one another. But this is from Proverbs 19:17. It says there, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. So how are we to, why does he use that, those terms lending and, and, and repayment? Well, uh, again, we have to go back to the Old Testament context that Solomon was writing in because in addition to that tithe that was stored up for the needy on every third and sixth year, these other provisions were in place for Israel. One was, God said, don't harvest your fields all the way to the edge. Uh, leave a margin around your farm fields that those who are needy in your land can go and harvest it. And don't go over your land a second time. Whatever gleanings are left on the ground, leave them for those uh, who need it and allow them to harvest it. An application of this uh, was in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Remember Ruth and her mother-in-law Naomi were both widows they had come back from the land of Moab to their hometown of Bethlehem, and they were uh, two women who were in, uh, financially vulnerable. They were needy, and it was harvest time uh, in the land of Israel. And they said, go, uh, let's go to Boaz, uh, because Boaz is a good man. He's an honorable man. He will uh, allow you to glean from his field what you need. And indeed, Boaz did obey the law of Moses in this regard and allowed uh, Ruth to harvest there. And there's a wonderful story uh, that follows from that. In addition to that gleaning and that margin, the law of Moses said they were not to plant or harvest in the seventh year. Can you imagine that? To not plant or harvest at all in the seventh year. The promise was that if they would obey that, that God would give them an overabundant harvest in the sixth year to take them through. But the seventh year, the land was to rest and whatever grew organically on its own was for the poor of the land to harvest. Now Israel did not, for the most part, did not uh, obey this. And it was one of the reasons for the exile to Babylon. And God says, because you didn't let the land rest, I'm going to force it uh, to rest and you're going to be exiled from the land. And the third thing, and this is sort of applicable to the Psalm we just, or the proverb we just read, is that they were to lend without interest to those who were in legitimate need of shelter and of food and if they had, a, if they had more than they needed that they should lend to their brother or sister in need and to do it without grudging them 
and they would attempt to repay it, but if they could not, in the seventh year, all debts were to be forgiven. All debts, anything that you had lent out was to be uh, forgiven. And so there was a special provision in the law that said, if it's the sixth year, the seventh year is coming, don't let that be the reason that you don't lend to your brother or sister who is in need. And Solomon is reaching back to this when he says, if you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord and don't worry, he will repay you. <laughs> when, we lend to the, when we lend to those in need, we are in fact lending to the Lord. Remember Jesus said something similar? He said, what you have done to the least of these, you have actually done for me. And when he says that, he's showing that this that this extends beyond the law to a universal principle that's applicable for us too. The next, uh, Proverbs 14, 27, and this sort of builds on what we just read, said it's a sin to be little one's neighbor, but blessed are those who help the poor. So this is pretty straightforward, we understand it, to be hard-hearted and to not care about your fellow man is a sin, but it says blessed are those who are merciful. That word blessed in that uh, proverb means more than just financial blessing. It includes financial blessing, but it means more than that because we all know that you can have money and not really be happy. The blessing that's talking about here is not just material prosperity, but it's talking about a happy, harmonious, peace-filled life that has been well lived. So it means blessed in the full sense of the word. So how can we put the wisdom of Proverbs into practice in our life? How can I put these principles into practice? And before we go, I, I just wanna share quickly three ways that I think we can do that. And here's the first one. The first is to change my mindset from one of fear to one of trust. Fear that there won't be enough to trust that the Lord will provide for me if I obey him. And this is super hard for us to do. You know, because of our fallen state, and the fallen world in which we live, we are constantly fearful. And we are particularly fearful that we will not have enough. And so because of that, I must look out for myself, right? Because this is a dog-eat-dog -dog world. And I don't wanna live with a closed fist, but, but if I'm gonna survive in this world, I've gotta look out uh, for number one, and I can't let anything uh, get out of this closed fist. But Proverbs invites me to see the world completely differently. Proverbs reassures me of God's generosity and invites me to trust him and to live with an open hand because in God's world, there is abundance. And we can tap into that with diligent work and with wise planning 
and with obedient generosity. I wanna, uh, I wanna play a short five-minute video that comes from the Bible Project, bibleproject.com, which by the way is a great resource for your personal Bible study. But I wanna show this video because it shows us how the Bible from beginning to end invites us into this new way of thinking uh, about a, a new generous way of thinking and how God has built that into the world. You watch. Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world. Under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy, anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over, it's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity. And so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham, and he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoiled party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, 
sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is gonna go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life and scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host, just like Jesus did. Yeah, and when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. So we're invited into this new way of thinking. And uh, you know, all of discipleship at its core is a renewal of the mind, a new way of thinking. And so may God help us to move from one of fear into one of trust. Here's the second um, principle, the second application I think we can take from Solomon's wisdom, is that we would use the principle of the tithe as a starting point in our own generosity. You know, Proverbs looks at the tithe not simply as a matter of law, but as a wisdom principle. And that's exactly how we should look at it too. Because as Christians, we're not under the Mosaic law. We don't give from law, we give voluntarily as the spirit leads out of love. But what we see as we look at the whole of the Bible's counsel in this area is that the tithe existed even before the Mosaic law. It was a pre-law principle. We see that when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, and we understand Melchizedek to be a prefiguring of Christ, the Messiah. The tithe was a way to recognize one who is greater, to honor the one who was greater, and that's what Abraham did with the tithe. And then this principle is codified into the Mosaic law for the nation of Israel. But then we're invited as New Testament believers to see it once again as a wisdom principle, as a way to honor God and trust him with the first portion of what he has given us. And so in the New Testament, when we read things like it's more blessed to give than to receive, or God will resupply you, or the principle of sowing and reaping, those 
apostolic writers are reaching back to the wisdom of Proverbs and they're inviting us to live in its flow, but out of love, not out of law. And so let me just ask you, have you trusted God with the tithe in your life and in your family? I understand all of the fears that come with that. It is natural to the human condition. I still struggle at times with fear in that regard. But that is why it is so powerful, such a powerful act of trust in God. And as you step out and do it in your home, you will find God to be faithful to you. Here's the third principle I think we can draw from Proverbs, and that is to look for opportunities to be generous to those in need in our everyday life. You know, we may not have fields to leave a margin in or to lie fallow in the seventh year or, or, a, or the forgiveness of, uh, of debt in the seventh year, but the principle of caring for those in need, like Boaz, is just as valid today as it was then. Sometimes I think what we struggle with in this regard is needs are often so great uh, in our own communities and around the world and all of this, we don't even know where to begin. How do we hear God's voice on when and where? And I think often God's voice is the voice of the person right before us. Um, have you ever seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? It's, it's the story of Desmond Doss. He was the, he was the only non-combatant, uh, a, a medic, to win the Medal of Honor for his bravery and his courage at the Battle of Hacksaw Ridge in the Pacific Theater where he saved hundreds of Lives and, and Desmond was a very spiritual man. And, and, and there's a scene in the movie where he's standing on the edge of the battlefield, overwhelmed with the need around him and fearful, frankly, to move forward into it. And he looks up to heaven and he just says, God, what do you, what do you want me to do? And he, he pauses for a moment, he doesn't hear anything. And he says, I can't, I can't hear you. And it's in that moment that he hears the cry of a wounded man not far from him. And he says, ah, oh, you know, that's God's answer to me. Just, just respond to the cry that's right in front of me. And that is God's voice to me. We can start right where we are in our everyday life. I came across a story uh, a number of years ago that really spoke to me. It's, uh, it's, it's called, It's What You Scatter, uh, which reminds me of Proverbs 11, um, that, that when, you scatter, when you scatter, it's then that you gather. And I wanna read it to you uh, as we close, as just an example of op an opportunity to be generous in our everyday uh, life. 
says, I was at the corner grocery store. I was buying some early potatoes and I noticed a small boy. He was delicate of bone and feature, ragged but clean, hungrily apprising a, a basket of freshly picked green peas. I paid for my potatoes, but I was drawn also to that display and I couldn't help but overhear the conversation between Mr. Miller, who was the store owner, and the ragged boy next to me. Hello, Barry, how are you today? Well, I'm, I'm fine, Mr. Miller, I, I, I'm just admiring them peas. They sure look good. Well, they are, they are good, Barry. How's your ma doing? She's fine, she's getting stronger all the time. Good, is there anything that I can help you with? No, sir. I'm just admiring those peas. Well, would you like to take some home? Asked Mr. Miller. Uh, no, sir, I, uh, I got nothing to pay for them with. Well, what have you to trade me for some of those peas? Well, all, all I have is my prize marble here. Is that right? Well, let me take a look at it. Here it is, uh, she's a dandy. I can see that, uh-huh. The only thing is, is, uh, is this one is blue and I really go for red. Do you have a red one like this at home? Mr. Miller asked. Well, not exactly, but, but almost. Well, I tell you what, you take this sack of peas home with you and next trip this way, let me look at that red marble, Mr. Miller told the boy. Well, I sure will. Thank you, Mr. Miller. Well, Mrs. Miller, who had been standing nearby, came over to help me. And with a smile, she said, you know, there are two other boys like him in our community. All three are in tough circumstances right now. And Jim just loves to bargain with them for peas, apples, tomatoes, whatever. And when they come back with their red marbles, and they always do, he decides that he doesn't like red after all. And he sends them home with a bag of produce and tells them to come by with a green marble or an orange one when they come on their next trip to the store. Well, I left the store that day smiling to myself, impressed with this man. A short time later, I moved to Colorado, but I never forgot the story of this man and the boys and their bartering for, for marbles. Just recently, I had occasion to visit some old friends back in that Idaho community. And while I was there, I learned that Mr. Miller had died and they were having his visitation that evening. And knowing that my friends wanted to go, I agreed to accompany them. And upon arrival at the mortuary, we fell into line to offer whatever words of comfort that we could. And ahead of us in line were three young men. One was in an army uniform, the other two wore nice haircuts and dark suits and white shirts, all very professional looking. And they approached Mrs. Miller, standing composed and smiling by her husband's casket. And each of the young men hugged her and kissed her on the cheek and spoke briefly with her and then moved on to the casket. And her her misty light blue eyes followed them as one by one, each man stopped briefly, placed his own hand over Mr. Miller's hand in that casket, and then each left the mortuary awkwardly wiping his eyes. Well, our turn 
came to meet Mrs. Miller. And I, I told her who I was. I reminded her of that story from those many years ago and what she had told me about her husband's bartering for marbles. And with her eyes glistening, she took my hand and she led me to the casket. She said, those three young men who just left were the three boys that I told you about. And they just told me how they appreciated the things that Jim always traded them. And now at last, when Jim could no longer change his mind about color or size, they had come to pay their debt. We've never had a great deal of the wealth of this world, she confided. But right now, Jim would consider himself the richest man in Idaho. And with loving gentleness, she lifted the lifeless fingers of her deceased husband and resting underneath were three exquisitely shined red marbles. Story ends by saying, it's not what you gather, but what you scatter that tells what kind of life you have lived. And that is indeed the wisdom of Proverbs about generosity. You know, God's demonstrated his generosity to the fullest in the giving of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have ever lasting life. And that's the first step to living inside of God's generosity, is to accept that perfect gift. You know, so many of us, we, we strive to somehow earn heaven or earn salvation when it is a gift that God has given to us. Have you received that gift into your own heart? The gift of forgiveness, the gift of a clean conscience before God and before man, the, the gift of a clean slate. God wants to give it to you to lay down your striving and to pick up uh, that perfect gift. So as we pray together here in just a moment, if you've never received that gift, I wanna, it would be my greatest privilege to pray with you here in just a moment to receive it. And then for all of us to, to pray that God would help us to live inside uh, the wisdom of generosity uh, that he's put into the world. So if you'd pray with me. Father in heaven, we love you so very much. I, I, I'm so thankful for this church family. I'm so thankful for every uh, person listening to your word today. And Lord, I pray for every family that your, your peace and your grace would rest upon them. Lord, I wanna pray specifically for those who are inviting you into their heart and their life today. That you are so generous to us and the greatest expression of that was Christ Jesus. And we can't strive for it, we can't work for it, we just need to stand in the flow of your generosity by faith. I believe there are some here today watching online, sitting here today, 
that they just need to lay down their striving and just receive that by faith, that your death was for our sin, that you are resurrected and seated at the right hand of God Almighty, and that every knee should bow. And we receive that into our heart and into our life. We thank you for it. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom of Proverbs. We ask, we acknowledge that we are weak in our flesh. And we ask that you would strengthen us when fear wants to overwhelm us and tell us that the way to live life is with a closed fist. Lord, by your grace, help us to live with an open hand. Change our thinking, change our mind. Help us to step out in faith with the tithe and to trust you. And help us to look for opportunities around us every day this week. Like it's, like it's a great adventure, a treasure hunt. And you would help us to have margin in our life. That we always have something to share. Always have something to give. So we thank you for this. And it's in the name of Jesus, the name above all names, that we pray. And all God's people said. Amen. Hey, if you made a decision to invite Christ into your heart, stop by the yes table on your way out. They would uh, love to, to help you before you leave today. Uh, have a great week, everybody. God bless.